Good morning, friends. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 22. And in just a moment, we're going to read verses 1 through 5. But before we jump in, I want to remind you of where we are. We are now in a new series where over the past few weeks and today, we've looked at habits or rhythms of life that we can engage in that will help us to be better followers of Jesus. But even more than that, they will help us to live into the fullness of who God has called us to be. And so if you missed last week, we talked about prayer. You can go download our podcast and catch up while you take a walk or exercise. And today we're going to talk about the Bible. How do we read it? How do we take it in and let it transform our lives? Now, quick word for some of you that maybe you're tuning in for the first time or you're not a Jesus person. Maybe you checked out from church decades ago and you're thinking the Bible, it's got nothing to say to me. I wanna invite you to just join us. Stick around for a few minutes because I hope that I can provide some fresh perspective on what the Bible is, how you can read it and find your life maybe transformed. And that's true for those of us who have checked out of church, but also those who tune in every single Sunday. And so let's begin by reading from Revelation chapter 22. If you've got your Bible, great. And if not, no worries, words are gonna be on the screen. Let's hear now from this story of God and God's people. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and there will be no more night. And they will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. The Bible. The Bible, friends, it is 66 books in the whole of the Bible. Extra points for you if you knew that. How many are in the New Testament? 27. And how many are in the Old Testament? You can just do some simple math, but it is 39. 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament, 66 total. The Bible, it's one of those things that we know. It is absolutely central to following Jesus. If you want to be a Christian, if you want to live into the way that God intends for us to, then the primary way that God communicates with us through prayer, yes, but even more than that, through the reading of the Bible. And we all know that, whether you're a Christian or not, that the Bible is important. Guys, there are over 100 million copies of the Bible that will be distributed or sold, given out for free throughout the course of 2022. Think about that for just a minute. 100 million copies. There will be 20 million in the United States alone that will be given out, most of them for free. That's staggering. By far, the Bible is the best-selling book of all time. Conservative estimates put the number of copies that have been out of the Bible at 5 billion, although most think it's closer to 7. 7 billion copies, the number one best-selling book of all time. We know the Bible is important. It is how we learn about God. It is how we come to learn about Jesus. We know the Bible is important. For crying out loud, every single night, every single night, When I put my daughters to bed, 
What do we do? We pray, and then after we pray, we sing a song. And what is the song that we sing? You know it. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. We know, friends, that if you want to be a Christian, that the Bible is absolutely central to living the Jesus way. Even for those people that aren't Christians, right? The Bible is held up as this epic and beautiful piece of literature. I'll never forget in my English 1101 class at the University of Georgia, we read sections of the Psalms, not as sacred text, but as beautiful literature. And so the Bible is held in high regard by all people and in all places for the most part. But here's the thing, the Bible while it is maybe the best-selling book, it is the best-selling book of all time with over 500 English translations alone. What I would also say to you is that the Bible is one of the most misunderstood books that has ever been written. The Bible is one of those books that so many people start out and they are passionate about it, like New Year's resolutions, right? I'm gonna read the Bible from cover to cover and you begin in the book of Genesis and you crush it. Then you get to Exodus and it's exciting stories and then you get to Leviticus and you're done. You see, the Bible can be a really confusing book. I cannot tell you guys the number of times more than any other conversation I have with people that are trying to become better disciples, the number one conversation I have are people coming into my office or going out and having lunch with me and saying, Will, I just don't know how to read the Bible. Have you ever found yourself thinking that? I don't know how to read the Bible. And if you're echoing like, Will, totally, that's me, then I want you to know you are not alone. The Barna Research Group, one of the most reputable religious research groups in the United States. They release a report every year on the state of the Bible. And they even said that 60% of Christians, 60% of people that say they follow Jesus wish that they read the Bible more. And part of their frustration is that they feel like they don't understand it. And so if you're like those countless people that have been sitting in my office and with true honesty said, Will, I just don't know how to read the Bible. I know it's important. I know I need to do it. If I wanna live in to the fullness of who God created me to be, I know the Bible is important, but Will, I just don't know how to read it. If that's you this morning, you are not alone and you are in good company. And that's why I wanna take some time this morning to talk about this very issue. What is the Bible? What is the Bible? We know it's important, but what is it? And maybe just as importantly, how do we read it? How do we read it so that we might become more and more like Jesus? How do we read the Bible so that we can, like Paul says, be transformed by the renewal of our minds? The Bible is central. And so we have to stop and ask the question, how do we read it? What is this book? And, and before we can get to that question, I actually want to back up. I want to back up, and before we say what is the Bible and how do we read it, what I want to address is what the Bible is not. I want to talk for a few minutes about how we are not supposed to treat the Bible. Because in everything that the Christian faith represents... What I would argue is that the Bible is maybe the most misunderstood. The Bible is the thing that has been abused more than anything else. 
And so I wanna take just a few minutes and talk about ways that the Bible was never intended to be used, ways that the Bible was never intended to be read. And the first thing that I wanna say to you this morning is that the Bible, it isn't magic. I know that might sound crazy to some of you. The Bible isn't magic. Guys, sometimes I walk into people's houses. It hasn't happened so much here in Augusta, but in some of my other settings, I go into people's houses for a visit or for a dinner, and you walk in the door of well-meaning church people, and, and sitting out in a very visible place for everyone to see is the family Bible. And you know what I have almost always noticed about the family Bible? it isn't open very much and it's collecting dust on the top of it. And I feel like people sit the Bible out in a prominent place as though it has some sort of special magical power. One of the great preachers of the English language is a guy named Charles Spurgeon. And Spurgeon says so appropriately that Satan isn't afraid of an unopened Bible. You see, it's not magic, the book itself the simple pages and the leather cover, they don't have any authority. A friend of mine who's a pastor, every time he goes for a hospital visit, every time he goes into a public setting, he always carries his Bible in his hand. It's like he thinks this, this book, by virtue of holding it, gives him some sort of exalted status, that it's magic. You know people that in the context of their work, they drive around and their Bibles are on the dashboard, you know, it was crazy, y'all. My dad was in construction. And he told me, once my dad wasn't a Jesus follower, and he told me, he said, Will, anytime I see someone pull up and they've got a Bible sitting on their dashboard, I can't help but be skeptical of them. Because the fact of the matter is so many people try to use the Bible as like this magical thing. And when you use it that way, you are abusing it that way. Because the Bible isn't magic in and of itself. It has no authority, but the authority of the Bible is something we find inside of it. So the Bible isn't magic. The other thing that I would wanna say to you this morning is that categorically, the Bible is not primarily a list of rules. It's not a list of rules for you to follow. Now, let's stop for a moment and be crystal clear on this one fact, that the Bible has plenty of rules. The Bible has plenty of commands. The Bible has plenty of things that it says, hey, this is how you live. This is how you don't live. I talked a little bit earlier about Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, lists of rules. Now, those in the Old Testament, we as Jesus followers, the majority of them, we say, hey, yeah, yeah, those were great, but we don't have to follow those anymore. So I can eat shellfish. I, can, uh, I don't have to be kosher. Yeah, I, I don't need to worry about those rules. Yeah, true, good on you. But make no mistake about it, the Bible also has lots of rules in the New Testament. Jesus teaches us and tells us things we are to do to follow him. Don't hate. Yeah, don't be angry with people. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Be committed in your relationships to one another. Paul has rules for how we are to treat other human beings that were created in the image of God. So make no mistake about it. The Bible has lots of rules. And I think the world might be better off and Christians would be better off if we stopped and actually tried to follow some of those rules. So let me be crystal clear on that point. The Bible has lots of rules, lots of suggestions, lots of commandments for how we are called to live. But primarily, and this is a great misunderstanding, the Bible is not a rule book. 
There's a song written back in the 90s, contemporary worship song, and I uh, was on the margins of Christianity at the time, and the song, it started out like this, basic instructions before leaving earth. The Bible was seen as an instruction manual before you left earth. And friends, that is laughable and it is wrong. Yes, there are rules, but the Bible at its heart is not a rule book. And the final thing that I would say to you, and this is so important for you to understand, is that the Bible is not a weapon. The Bible was never intended to be a weapon. And what I mean by that is that over the course of Christian history, and we have to own this, so many people have used the Bible to demonize other people. So many people have used the Bible to cast a negative light and a darkness over other types of human beings. Don't even think for a second that we can't talk about that. The fact is, friends, that white Christians use the Bible to justify slavery. German Christians use the Bible to justify their treatment of the Jews during the Holocaust. Make no mistake about it, over the course of Christian history, the Bible has been used as a weapon, and that is true in those mass scale events, but it is also true in the way that parents sometimes treat children and in the way that neighbors sometimes treat other neighbors. And if that is how you are using the Bible, stop it. Either stop it or stop calling yourself a Christian. And if you're tuning in this morning and that's how the Bible has been presented to you, I want you to know I'm sorry because that is not what God intended. That is not what Jesus teaches us. And we have to stop for a moment and talk about what the Bible is not because for far too long it has been misused and abused and the intent of scripture is so much greater. It is so much grander and it is intended to grow us in the likeness of Jesus. And so now with a full understanding of what the Bible is not, we can turn our attention and talk about what is the Bible? What is this thing that we call the word of God? As I said at the beginning, it's 66 books histories, poetry, prayers. There are letters that are written from a guy named Paul to churches, from Peter to churches. 66 unique books, individual in themselves. But here's the thing that I would say to you, that if you really wanna understand scripture, if you really want to let the Bible shape your life and help you become the person that God intended for you to be, yes, the Bible is 66 books, but ultimately, Scripture is one story. Scripture is one story. And here's what I mean by that. I don't mean it in the sense of like Harry Potter. I don't mean the Scripture is like Hansel and Gretel, a fairy tale that isn't true. No, what I mean is that Scripture... The Bible tells one story. A great theologian that I deeply love says it like this, that the Bible from Genesis to Revelation tells one overarching capital S story. In the very first pages of the Bible, we read about God who created humanity in the divine image. And we are in the Garden of Eden and there in the center of the garden stands the tree of life. And I want you to go all the way to the end of the Bible, to what I read to you at the beginning of this sermon from the book of Revelation, the very last thing that we see. 
is that God has renewed and redeemed and restored and recreated all things. There is a new heaven and there is a new earth and there are no more tears and there is no more war and the world and the universe is as God has always intended it to be. And what do we see at the center of the holy city? But on other, either side of the river, there is the tree of life. And so friends, we find ourselves in the midst of this great overarching story in between the trees, as it were, in the book of Genesis and Revelation. If you really want to understand the Bible and read it for all that it is worth, you need to know that it first and foremost tells a story. It tells the story of God. It tells the story of God and his love for the world and the universe. It tells the story of God and his love for Israel, the children of Abraham and his chosen people in the world. It tells the story of Israel's Messiah, Jesus, God who took on flesh and came among us, who is the one who was crucified and resurrected. It is the story of how God is making the world new in and through Jesus the Bible is the story of Jesus' people, me and you, called to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. The Bible is a story, an overarching unified narrative that ends with the world becoming the way that God always intended, with newness and peace, with wholeness and goodness. The Bible, first and foremost, and at its core, friends, is a story. It is a story of God, it is a story of humanity, and ultimately, it is a love story. And we are invited to read it, just like that. We are invited to immerse ourselves in its pages and find that we, in fact, are characters within what is the greatest story ever told. And I'm gonna stop and harp on this for just a moment. I wanna talk about story. Because while most of us don't think about it in the breakneck pace of every day, in the midst of our regular rhythms of life, we don't ever stop and think about this fact, but the reality is, and let's be clear on this, that we are primarily people who make sense of the world through story. We make sense of the world through narrative. That's how we are created. That's how we are designed. Think about it. If someone comes up to you and they said, tell me about yourself, which happens from time to time. Will, tell me about yourself. Tell me about your life. What I don't do is say, well, I'm five foot 11. I weigh 182 pounds. I have a wife. I have three children. I have moderately high cholesterol and I like to exercise. I am also a pastor. No, no when I'm asked, who am I? I don't list off random statistics about myself. Neither do you. But when you are asked, tell me about yourself, who are you? Do you know what you do? You tell a story. You tell a story because that is how we make sense of the world. We construct a narrative that tells us who we are, how we got here, and where we are ultimately going. We are a story-driven people. And we have to stop and talk about that for just a few moments because I want you to know this. It is true, whether or not you wanna believe me, it is absolutely and fundamentally true that friends, there are thousands of stories. There are thousands of narratives that are, that are trying to define your life. 
Seriously, there are thousands of stories that can define your life. And each and every one of us, you're watching online maybe for the first time, you watch every single week, you have a story that you tell about your life. And for some of you, the primary plot of the story is that you are a mother or a father. For some of you, the primary plot line of your story is that you're a Republican or a Democrat. For some of you, the primary plot of your story is that you are a consumer. And I want you to know that is a plot line, right? Culture tells us that you are the center of your story, that you are the center of your story. And one of the narratives is this, that you as the center are called with all of your being to search for life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness, that you ultimately are the master of your own fate, that you're the center of the universe and the story is all about you. And you can ultimately be happy. One version of the story says, if you buy enough stuff or if you achieve enough goals, there are a million stories and they are all trying to define you. I want you to stop for a moment, maybe even hit pause on Vimeo. And I want you to think about that. Write it down. What is your story? How do you make sense of the world? Because we are a storied people. And the reason that it is so incredibly important for us to read the Bible as a unified narrative is that it gives us an identity. It tells us a vision of who we are and more importantly, whose we are. That we are not the center of the universe. God is, but we are created in his image. And if we put him where he belongs at the center of the greatest story ever told, then and only then can we find who we were truly meant to be. And no, friends, listen to me. There are a thousand stories that are being told about you. There are a thousand competing narratives that want to define your life. And the reason that it is so important to understand what the Bible is intended to be is that it invites us to live with a different, alternative, more beautiful and powerful story. But you know, I also want to talk about a new movement that is afoot. And for some of you, this is going to be old hat. You've heard it a thousand times, but for others of you, this is going to be new. And you're going to think like, Will, you're totally crazy. And I've never heard of anything so bombastic and outlandish. But listen, guys, the reason that it is important that we understand scripture as story is because there is a new movement that is happening across our culture. It's actually been going on in academia for decades now, but in popular culture, it's begun to take root. It's called postmodernity, And some of you have heard of it. I'm not gonna go into huge detail. If you wanna know more, just shoot me an email. I love to talk about this stuff. But postmodernity essentially says this, that there is no story. There is no grand sweep of history. And any attempt to say that there is means really quite simply you want power, you want money, or you want influence. And postmodernity, which is now dominant in our universities, Postmodernity, which is now dominant in our culture that says you define who you are because your voice is the only voice that matters. It says that scripture and the Bible is simply a power play. A popular expression of this, just indulge me for a minute. There's a guy named Yuval Noah Harari. I've talked about him in a sermon a few years ago. I know you guys remember that, right? 
But you've all know a Harari, a New York Times bestseller. He's written three books that each have sold millions and millions of copies. They've been translated into um, multiple different languages. And one of the key things that Harari talks about is how do we live as postmodern human beings. Now, he's a professor at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. He's lectured at Harvard and many of the Ivy League schools. He, he was featured in 60 Minutes and in Time Magazine. And in his most recent book, 21 Questions for the 21st Century, he's talking about how do we make sense of the world in which we live. And while you might not have heard his name, his thought is influencing so many of us so many of our college students, so many of my friends, so many of the kids that are coming up through the education system. And here's what Harari has to say. That people will ask, who am I? And they, and they expect to be told a story. But the first thing you need to know about yourself, Harari says, is that you are not a story. Let me say that again. Harari says, you are not a story. If you continue on reading his book, what he says is that we as human beings have electrical impulses like a computer that run through our bodies and algorithms that are pre-programmed that determine what we do and how we live. And there is no story. But you're born and you die. And that's all that there is. Now, the irony is that that in and of itself is, in fact, a narrative. It is a story, but it's a dangerous one because it says nothing matters, so do whatever you want. Live however you see fit. And as we, Jesus followers, try and seek to live into the fullness of who we were created to be, or maybe you're not a Jesus follower and you hear that and you think it is depressing and it is, God, just heart-wrenching. It is. And I want you to know that he's wrong. I want you to know that there's a better way to make sense of your life. There is a better way to make sense of your existence. There is a better way because there is a better story. Ultimately, friends, that's how we are called to read the Bible. And that is how we are called to make sense of our lives. I'm going to shift gears for a minute because as I said last week, I want this series to be really practical. I want it to be boots on the ground. And some of you are thinking like, okay, Will, I get it. Scripture is a story, but how do I read it, right? Do you want me to start at Genesis and make my way to Revelation? And what I would say is, hey, if you want to do that, great, but you're probably going to get stuck. And ultimately, that's not the most effective thing. And so some of you, like I said, maybe first time tuning in, you're not a Jesus person. And what I would encourage you, if you want to begin reading the Scripture, if you want to immerse yourself in the story, and actually this is true not only for non-Christians, but this is true for so many Christians who just don't read the Bible at all. Here's what I want to encourage you. Start with Jesus. If, if I can just tell you one thing, start with Jesus. Read the Gospels and, and don't break them up into tiny little sections. Read Mark 1, then the next day read Mark 2. But these books were intended to be read as a narrative. They're intended to be read as a story. And so start with Jesus. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. Maybe start with Mark. It's only 16 chapters long. If you carve out 30 minutes, maybe 45 minutes, you can read the entire thing and try it. 
That's my challenge for you as we go throughout the course of this week, to sit down and read the gospels at a run. Read the stories of Jesus because then you will see who we are called to be. You will see who God truly is. Read them at a run. And the other thing I would say to you is this. Don't read it as a passive outside observer, but read it as a character inside. What does it feel like to be standing around as Jesus heals the man that's born blind? What does it feel like? What does your heart say to you when the woman touches the hem of Jesus' garment and she is healed of a disease she's had for so many years? Because what you will find, friends, is if you enter in to the story, Jesus might very well turn around and talk to you. So read the Gospels for all that they are worth. Start with Jesus, and I promise you will find yourself in a better story. It's a beautiful love story. It's about God and the world. It's about God and his people. It's about the redemption and the restoration of all things. So I wanna invite you to read the Bible for all that it is worth. Because what you will find is in the midst of this story, you will learn who God is. You will learn who you are intended to be. So may you immerse yourself, not in the narratives of our culture, not in the nihilism of Yuval Noah Harari, but may you find yourself in the greatest story ever told. Jesus is with us. God loves you. And the story continues on. Friends, let's take a few moments now. Let's pray together. God, we are grateful for another morning where we can gather together and we can read and listen to your story. So God, for some of my friends who are watching, they have been telling themselves alternative narratives. They've been living by different scripts and their life is a train wreck. They have bought into the lies of culture and into the deceptions of the age that tell us they're the center of the story and the point of existence is to live into, into our desires. And God, for my friends who are echoing that in their heart today, begin a fresh movement. Begin to speak a new word. God, today invite them into a counter story into your story. God, may we find ourselves reading this book for all that it is worth, living in between the trees, finding, God, that we can be characters in the greatest story ever told. Lord, continue to be with us as we worship you this morning. We love you. This is our prayer, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.